take this out real quick. I'm going to do a, just a transitional announcement, and then I'm going to have you stand back up again and do some shaking hands, and, uh, and then we'll get into the sermon. But uh, you'll see a lot of this as you have over the last few months anyway, but as we get closer to this annual thing that we do called Beyond Sunday, uh, you'll see it more and more and more, and eventually you'll be like, enough already. Uh, but that's okay. And so that's coming up on November the 13th. Just a very quick uh, summary of what this is. If you're new with us, we take up a big offering every November, and then we give it away to mission work uh, around the world. Uh, this is our fourth, I think, official year of doing it. And uh, with each year, uh, it's, it's always an amazing story of what happens uh, from you guys and how God works uh, through this. Our goal, of course, is just to become more and more of a giving church. And, um, and that involves us actually doing that. And so we, we've put this in place years ago to do so. Um, our goal this year is 100K, which is a, an audacious goal. However, uh, we set that goal and then we learned that uh, there's already been thirteen or $14,000 that has been given towards that, so it's actually less than that, yeah. And uh, so it's just slightly over what we collected last year at this point. So uh, it's also a Sunday where we say, look, everybody give, just everybody. If you're one of those people that's like, I'm not real sure about giving money to the church, this is your day because we don't keep it. So it's a great day to give. Uh, it can be your one day. So we actually have this thing called the Blue Cup Project um, where the, our kids downstairs, we give them these blue cups and we just tell them to fill it with change and bring that in on Beyond Sunday. And last year it was something like $800 and quarters came in. Um, the original backstory to the Blue Cup Project, do you know this? Some of you know this. Uh, back when this church started, they made, for some reason, thousands of cups that said Christian Church Buckhead on them, and we still had them when I got here. So it was my goal within five years of being here to get rid of them all because uh, they were taking up space. And so I had this bright idea that, oh, we'll give them to the kids, and they'll fill them up with change, and then that, that'll at least be some of them gone. And then I noticed that they all brought them back and placed them on the stage, and then at the end of the day, we had another 100 cups there because uh, so, I'm smart. Um, <laughs> um, but that's coming up, November 13th, and uh, on the back of the card, if you'll look real quick, this is so cool, in the back there's some, uh, uh, the list of the missionaries that we support. Uh, there's also a short story at the very bottom of that, and a little bit smaller print, how uh, we're also doing some one-time gifts to uh, some people that are getting started in mission work and, um, and so forth. There's, there's a couple from our church, some of these people are actually our church people that have left their jobs, uh, they've done the Abraham thing, and they've got up and left, and uh, left everything behind. Uh, to do mission work. And so a few of these are our own people, but there's one couple on here that's been a part of our church for a long time, and they've been on the mission field overseas for over a year now, and we're going to begin supporting them uh, starting in 2012, but they are not on this list. And let me tell you why, just so you know, for uh, integrity purposes that we're giving to more than what's listed here. Um, It's for their safety uh, that we can't even talk about it. And so we, we finally have one of those on our list, which is very cool. We have this underground, I mean, don't you feel like, never mind, okay. <laughs> it's like the whole speakeasy mission, so we got it going on here. Uh, so we're very excited to be a part of a very dangerous organization. Um, <laughs> so it's very dangerous these days in some parts of the world to say, hey, uh, God came to earth because he loves you, and that just gets you in deep trouble sometimes. So um, that's, uh, that's where we're at. So that's coming up. Uh, oh, one last thing, no, uh, November. October 30th is our third night of worship of the year. Uh, anybody been attending those throughout the year? Yeah, okay. Uh, good. Here's the cool thing. We're focusing that night on our missionaries, and all but two on this list will be here that night. So we've been able to fly some of these people home just for that weekend, 
because uh, that's what we do. And uh, they said, why are we coming home? And we said, so that we can circle up around you and pray for you. And so it's going to be a very amazing evening. So do not, if you've missed the first two this year, do not miss this one uh, because it's going to be a pretty awesome evening as these heroes are going to be in our midst and we get to uh, not only sing and do what we do, uh, but we get to pray for them as well. So keep this as a prayer card. Uh, if you lose it, fear not. It'll, it'll be here next week. So, all right. Everybody clear? Stand up, say hello to some people, and then we're going to get going. All right, have a seat. I love being up here during the greeting time because um, it's, it is an awkward thing. We don't do that in life. Um, and to watch some of you like look around like, who am I going to talk to? And it's like, I don't want to talk to them. And uh, so I'll talk to you. All right. Welcome. First uh, Timothy 4.12 is where we've been the last, uh, this will be the fourth week. We have one more week to go. It's on the screen for you. It says, uh, let no one look down on you because of your youth, because you're young, uh, but set, it says, an example. That's the word that's written in Greek on the paintings. It's the word tupos. Say the word tupos. That's what we're talking about today. And then it gives some, some, um, some add-ons to that command. Set the example in these things. It lists five things in speech life, which means conduct, and love, and faith, and impurity. Now, this is, if you look again at the first part of the verse, this is a relationship-based teaching. Let no one look down on you because, of, because you are young or because of your youth. So this is about those times when um, it's not going well between you and other people. Now, particularly, Timothy is going through some of this. He's a young leader, uh, and so there's a bit of this, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. There's some relevancy to that just for him. He's young, maybe in both faith and in age and in experience. That's a bad combination. And then someone puts you in leadership. So perhaps he's dealing with all three of those things or, or, or one. But nevertheless, the people in his life are looking at him and saying, you're inadequate. You have no uh, business being where you're at. And that's a tough spot. And so the teaching comes at him saying, look, I know that that's what's happening, but don't don't let that happen. In other words, don't let it get to you. And instead, I want you to be an example. And then it just starts running through this list. Speech and life and love and faith and impurity. And those are, as we've said every week, those are things that can weaken when we're under relational stress. If someone's ticked us off, the first way they're going to know that is how we talk, correct? Maybe not to them, but maybe the people that we talk to will realize that we're mad at so-and-so. So often what goes first is our speech status updates. Are you with me? (laughs) 
I know, you come to church to feel guilty, and I'm a master at it, so. Uh, Sometimes our life, conduct, integrity, behavior can get compromised because we're stressed. Our love, as we talked about last week, there's four Greek words for the word love, or for the concept of love, and the one that Paul chose was agape, which is... um, Another way it's translated is charity, because charity is something that's done without any, I don't need anything back from you. So it's that kind of love. It rolls on. It doesn't depend on what's going on between you and me or how things are going between you and me. Agape just rolls on. Uh, The greatest description of agape is 1 Corinthians 13. The entire chapter is based on that word agape. Love is patient. Love is kind and so forth. Uh, It's based on this tremendous love that God has for us. It's the kind of love that God has for us, by the way. But when we're stressed with people, oftentimes agape can get pushed to the side and it's replaced with something that's less than. Maybe something that keeps score or adds up the score that wants to win. So we talked about that last week. And then it just takes a weird turn. Faith and purity. Faith and purity. I suppose love fits in this category too, but faith and purity, the last two words in this set, are two words that can go in two directions. One is that it has the vertical component or the spiritual component. There's a faith, uh, there's the component of faith that's spiritual is certainly in here, but there's also, uh, and purity works that way too, sort of a spiritual, moral purity and so on, but it also works relationally too. And um, let me show you the Greek word for faith, by the way. Um, I'll let you pronounce that in your head because it sounds exactly like you think it does. Uh, and I don't want to be quoted as saying that on the stage. It, does, it means, now you're catching on. Uh, faith and also faithfulness. What it means. It goes both ways. It's the faith, the belief piece, but it's also a way of acting. Faithful. Faithfulness. It's the same word, means same, both things. There's the vertical component, faith in God, trust in God, love for God, strong faith. But then there's also the, I am a faithful person. And when we're looking at this uh, teaching to Timothy, it's a deeply relational teaching. And so the question that he's being challenged with is, are you going to remain a person of faith in the midst of stressful circumstances with people? Now, I'll get to this at the end, but a lot of people walk out on faith belief because of the way people act, particularly the church people. Are you with me on that? A lot of people walk away from Jesus because of his crazy followers. And so there is that, and so there is this small little piece, you know, where Timothy's being encouraged, look, don't drop the faith just because things are bad. And remember that he's in a church situation, so it even amplifies that reality that, look, I know the people around you are supposed to be God-loving, Jesus-loving people, but don't let that affect your faith, even though they're not. So there is that piece, but there's also this, also you remain faithful in your relationships. Now, last week, love, we opened that up and basically said this was about learning the skill of forgiveness, the biblical skill of forgiveness. Faith is really a part two of last week in that this is about the endurance to maintain that kind of love. 
And it's really, it's based on, you know, Jesus said it this way, love God, love your neighbor. Those are the two most important things. And it's, you can love your neighbor as yourself. It's possible to love your neighbor as yourself and uh, not be, and not love God. You can do that. You can totally do that. But for Jesus, it is not possible, rather, it's not recommended that you love God without loving your neighbor. Those two have to be together. And so faith in God and trust in God plays out in my faithfulness with people. Faithfulness in what? To maintain the love that is needed in times of very difficult relational situations. Are you with me? Because I want to move on. So let me know if you're with me. All right. It says right here in my notes, try and move on if it's not working. (laughs) Oh, keep in mind, 60% of the Ten Commandments are relational. Just keep that in mind. All right. (laughs) Just free stuff for you to mess with later on. I want to show you, here's how I want to talk about this today. Because faithfulness is, uh, between people, is about... It's the pursuit of, and it is about oneness. So if you are, and let me just preface this by saying two things. This sermon, which we're now beginning, um, is one long step towards communion, which we're going to do at the end. So this is one long communion meditation. And uh, so there's that you need to know. Secondly, if you're not a Christian today, you get to sit back off the hook. You're not required to do what I'm going to teach today. Now, you may listen to it and say, no, but I should do that. But you're not required to. This is a message for those of us who have said, I'm going with Jesus in all parts of my life. This is for you and for me. So again, if you're just kind of looking in on the Jesus story, you get a pass today. You just get to listen in and say, that's right. Y'all should do that. Amen. Okay. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to show you a piece of a prayer of Jesus. And just a piece. Uh, It's in John 17, if you want to turn there, but I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Um, And this is the night before Jesus died. So this is the night before his crucifixion. He's praying in the garden. And John records the words of his prayer for us. And the thing about his prayer is it's in three pieces. The first part, which is the shortest part, is Jesus prays for himself. Naturally, I mean, he's about to go through the greatest trial, right? And so he prays for himself. But it's just about that much. It's not, it's not much. And then he prays for his disciples, those 12 men, soon to be 11. He prays for those 12 disciples. And he prays basically that... He really prays for their lives uh, following the death and the resurrection. He prays how God will work through them and in them. Like, he just prays for them. And then, watch the first part of the next part of the prayer. It says, I ask not only on behalf of these, talking about his disciples, but also on behalf of those, what does it say, who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying for you. And me. Just sit in that for a moment. The Son of God prays for himself, prays for his disciples, and then he prays for you. 
Anyone who will believe in him, he says, or me, through the words of the disciples. We're all here today because of the telling and the the retelling of the story of Jesus. David said in the Psalms 145, one generation commends your works to another. That's how it happens. We're not born into this. We're told this. We're invited into this. And that's what has happened. We're all in this room because that story has been passed down from one generation to the next. And so we're here. And I think it's very important to just sit in the bigness of, Jesus prayed for me. He prayed for me. He prayed for you. And here's the prayer. Notice what he says. That they may all be what? One. That's it? That's the prayer? I mean, essentially, Jesus is praying, I hope they can get it together. That they all may be one. His prayer is a prayer for oneness. Like, he didn't pray, could have prayed for a lot of things. Health. Could have prayed that we would be fulfilled in our lives, our marriages, in our jobs. He could have prayed that we were successful at whatever we wanted to do. But he prayed that there would be oneness among us, and that's all we get. That's the prayer Jesus prayed for us, that they may all be one, and that our relationships with each other would be rooted in the pursuit of the deepest kind of community that could only be described with the word one. So that's, that's what we get. That's the prayer Jesus gives us, is that we would just, you know, come together. Faithfulness is about oneness. When we say someone has been unfaithful, what are we saying? We're saying that they broke up what was connected. What used to be one is now in pieces. So when we, that's why adultery is so traumatic for people. Or that's why it's so traumatic when people lie to us. Or when someone hurts us by turning on us. We call that unfaithfulness. Because unfaithfulness is basically what we call uh, what happens when what used to be connected is now in pieces. It's the oneness has been broken. And so Jesus prays for us, but his only prayer for us is that we don't break apart. And again, he's speaking of those who believe. So this is about church. The body of Christ that we may be one, which is hard to do when you have denominational names on every church sign. And my friends who have nothing to do with Jesus, that's their first question, among other things. So what's the deal with yours versus them? I don't know. But I'm guessing at some point back in history, one of them said, we don't agree with you, so we're gone, and we move on. And then we just have this progressive fragmenting of the church. Can you imagine if every church was just called church? <laughs> it's, it's really not such a crazy question. It, it has a lot of roots in many of the Reformation movements. I mean, can you imagine if I, we've, I have, uh, we helped start a church in Douglasville a couple years ago. You know what they named the church? One community. That's what they called it. That's a great name for a church. 
I mean, if they ever had to do a series on what their church was about, it's in the name. We're one, and we're a community. You know? That's a, pretty, that's a really good name for a church. One community. It's like a step towards this prayer that we may be one. But instead, we find ourselves often at odds. And back to this teaching, I mean, you know, Timothy is hearing straight away, don't do that. In the middle of stressful times with people, maintain the pursuit of oneness. Remain faithful both to God and to these people. If you can, turn back to Matthew 18. I don't have this on the screen for you, but uh, just back up a couple of books and you can find it. This is the famous, or this is the text that has the famous um, phrase from Jesus where he says, where two or three are gathered, you know, in my name, I'm there also. Have you heard that before? Yeah, it's a great, it's like a reassuring thing for small churches, you know. Well, he's here, barely, you know, he's barely here. I mean, first service, we don't know sometimes, you know, like, we need, we need a quorum before Jesus shows up. That's how we used to read it. But it's very, very important to realize that that statement that Jesus makes is the anchoring statement to a teaching he just gives on forgiveness. It's not a standalone, once-off riff about unity and about his presence. It's actually the final downbeat of a teaching about forgiveness. Look at verse 15. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. There's so many things in there. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one, he says. And then he goes through some other steps, and then he ends that with saying, when that happens, what he's saying here, when reconciliation happens, I'm there. Now, he's always there. That's not what he's saying. But when reconciliation happens, when reparation happens between people, he's saying, that's what I'm about. I'm about putting back together what's been broken. So I'm in that. And when you do it in my name, I'm there. I will be there. Last week, um, I made a statement, and I'll just read it to you. I have learned through the years to be okay with God's people being crazy and God being awesome. Now, that's just 18 years of ministry. Like, these people are crazy, but I'm also crazy. Not you, by the way. You're great. It's just, let me just, it's just a lesson for you, a helpful tool. Uh, If we had membership classes here, which we don't, um, this would be it. Like, this would be part of it. Like, yeah, yeah, theology doctrine. But we would get down to this and say, let me tell you how to best survive church. Learn to be okay with the fact that everybody's nuts. And they're going to let you down. But God is awesome. Because it's only because of God that all of us crazy people would ever get together anyway. And so it's very, very important to remember, because it just makes it much easier in life, that you can get to the place where you're okay with people being, being at fault. You're okay with people being not flawless, but flawed. And that God is big in that.
Uh, John Orberg wrote a book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. I recommend it. Also a good book for church life. Uh, let me just read you. It's a, a lengthy quote. It says, It is both remarkable and appalling that by and large in churches today, we are not scandalized by broken relationships and chronic enmity between people. When I was growing up, I knew many churches where the sins that really got people in trouble revolved around lifestyle, smoking, having a beer, or going to the wrong kind of movie, or listening to the wrong kind of music. Even today, if you hear that a pastor has been fired from another church for quote-unquote moral reasons, he says you can make a pretty safe bet, except that you're not allowed to gamble. That quote-unquote moral involves sex or money. And then he says this, we are not scandalized by the lack of love. It's not scandalizing to us. But for Jesus, back in our prayer, it is. That we may be one is the prayer. And to break that is to mess with the prayer of Jesus. Notice the next part. He says, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. That's a complicated, I mean, again, we're listening into a prayer. This is not a lesson. It's a prayer. And it's a prayer of Jesus, who is intimately connected with the Father. He and the Father are one. I mean, John opens his gospel with this very confusing, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all, and all this stuff about how Jesus and God are just, it's just very interrelated. It's a very difficult thing for us to get, and we, you know, we should just accept it and not try and figure that out. So we're listening to a prayer about a very deeply rooted relationship that goes back to before the beginning of time. But he's using it as an example here saying, as you and I are in this tight relationship, Father, may they, you and me, also be in that relationship. May they be in us. So we are talking a little bit about a strong faith. So this is, although it's kind of awkward and crooked, it's that we may be one, but that oneness is based on a oneness with God. So the oneness we have with God must spill out into our relationships that they may be one. So that's kind of what that means. And then notice the next part, what he says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the whole prayer for oneness between us is simply done because the way that we relate to each other is a message about God. Let them be one so that their message of love and grace and mercy is not compromised by the fact that they can't get that together in their own earthly relationships. Because I said this in the beginning, oftentimes people walk away from church, not because of God or Jesus, but because of his people. And so the prayer of Jesus here is very narrow. Let them live as one. He says to his disciples earlier in the book of John, they will know you are my disciples by your what? Your love, not your teaching, not your skills, not your big churches, not the things that you've accomplished, not the books you've written on spirituality. They will know that you are my disciples in your love, by your love. Not any other thing. And so his prayer is very straightforward that the way that we remain faithful in our relationships will have an impact 
as a witnessing tool for the story of Jesus. And I think about Paul's words to Timothy that he should set the example in his faith and faithfulness. And it's a hard thing to read because, again, we think of faith only as being vertical. And the challenge is to be the example with his faith, which, again, cannot only mean that people see him pray or read his scriptures or study or give or serve. It's not just that. It also, or perhaps even more so, means that his understanding of God and his mercy and grace must also make its way into the problems he's having with people. That they may believe. Our faithfulness with others tells others about our faith in God. Period. One more thing. Look at the prayer again on the screen. And I'll just read it again. I ask not only on my behalf, on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that's you and me, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The heaviest part of this prayer for me, the heaviest part of the prayer that Jesus prayed is the fact that the answer to that prayer is left up to you and to me. That's a theological head trip for me. That God prays for us and we decide if we answer the prayer. That's big. Because we often pray for everything else, but now we get to see that, wait, God prays for us? And we choose whether we answer the prayer. Let me close, um, and I'm just going to read this because I worked hard on it. But as we move to the communion, I want you to listen uh, to this. This will be a, a meditation of sorts to get us there. It says, uh, every Sunday, we loop through this thing called the communion or the Lord's Supper. It's an active thing. It's not something that we watch, but it's something we all participate in. Jesus instituted this practice at the Last Supper on the night before he died which makes this the oldest thing we do in the building. And it's a picture of our connection with the first disciples who, in their own right, had really no business hanging out with the Son of God. And yet, he chose them to be with him. It's also a picture of our connection with the church over the last 2,000 years. A reality check that we're not the first to go this way. Like walking into a massive cathedral, it opens our eyes to the bigness of God's family around the world, and throughout history. And we do this thing together as a congregation, all moving to various tables around the room at the same time. And it's a reminder that the grace of God is not just for me, but it is for us. And when we walk to these tables around the room, we walk together as broken people, injured by strife and tension and betrayal and doubt. At times we walk to the table with our betrayer, step by step with the one who has hurt us. At times we do this while we're at odds with someone else in the room. It's possible that when we eat the bread and drink the juice, that we see someone at another table that we can't seem to find love for. Other times we see that person in our mind's eyes. The communion exposes us. 
doesn't it? It pushes us all to the person and the work of Jesus, which was done on our behalf, a reminder that we are all at fault in a fragmented world and a brokenness between people and God. It reminds us that our role in the mission of Jesus to proclaim his death and resurrection, as the scripture says, until he comes. The message of the communion is both historical and future. His death and resurrection are things that happened, it's past. And his return will happen, it's a promise. And you and I, we live in the part that's called until. And so we do this week after week as a way of reminding us what God has done for us. And as an announcement to each other that we are all takers of God's grace and mercy. There is not one of us here today that deserves to be at any of these tables, but God has a way of inviting the wrong people to his parties. And so as we move through this small reenactment and flashcard of God's love for the world, let it remind us that one man, Jesus, died for the many, and that we are not many in Christ, but we are one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, And thank you for his prayer and the challenge of his prayer that we are called to not give up on the love that we have for each other and and that our faith and faithfulness go hand in hand. And God, give us the strength to answer your prayer every day in our relationships with family and parenting and neighboring, working. That whatever, you know, whatever else we do in life, that people will look at us and see you and how we forgive and how we love and how we remain faithful. God, as we take the bread and the juice over the next few minutes, that you will just instill in us this inspired passion to maintain oneness, faithfulness. And I pray for all relationships that have been broken, um, that you will begin to do a work in those lives. And help us be a church that brings people not only back to you, but back to each other, restoring what's broken. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.